Again, it is such a blessing to be with you, whether you're part of our Glendale Church family or watching from somewhere else. We welcome you, and we are so glad that you are here. Specifically to our Glendale Church family, I just want to tell you, I am so proud of you and the way that you have loved each other. I keep hearing stories about people picking up groceries for those who need them, passing along things. Thank you for the ways that you're doing that. And we actually have more people telling us, I want to help, than we have people who need help right now, which is great. So I'm so thankful for all the ways that you're doing that. I encourage you to think about how we can be there for each other, even though we have a physical distance right now, uh, not only for those who are in our church, but uh, those who are not in our church. We want to be the good news of Jesus because let me tell you right now, church is not canceled. You can't cancel church. The gathering itself, we may not be together, but church is not canceled. We get a unique opportunity, I think, right now because of a difficult time to realize that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world right now. So we are the church. Thank you for all the ways that you're doing that right now. It is very deeply encouraging me. No matter what news network you watch, there's going to be something that will be consistent across all of them. When there's breaking news, the red flashes across the screen and it says, breaking news, something is happening. And in a time like this, that's necessary. We have some things that seem to be happening. Someone said to me recently, this week was the longest year of my life. And I think that's pretty accurate. There's been a whole lot going on over this last week. And so in a time like this, when a pandemic is sweeping across the world, there is breaking news every few minutes or so. But even when it's a slower news cycle, it has the same thing, this red flash across the screen, breaking news. And I love how the news will be broken at 7.30 a.m., but somehow it's still the same story at 4 p.m. just because they're trying desperately to get your attention. Again, during a time like this, there are things for us to be concerned about and to think about. There's always going to be a red thing flashing on the screen, grabbing for your attention. Where your eyes go, where your heart is, what it is that you meditate on, those things matter. Research over the last 30 years is showing us what Scripture has talked about being true forever, that we transform our lives through the renewing of our mind where we allow our minds to rest and think and connect, it matters deeply. During times like this, I think we need to recognize that anxiety is not something that we can completely get rid of. And some of us need medical attention and medical help when it comes to dealing with anxiety, and I would ask that you would seek that out. But all of us on some level are asking hard questions right now, wondering what it is that is going to come next. We're living with uncertainty. I know for me, something that's probably the most difficult is just not knowing when we will go back to normal again. Anxiety, I think, is just proof in some ways that we're alive and breathing because there's hard things that are going to be happening throughout our lives. And we have this impulse in us at times to to fight or flight. And we need to make decisions sometimes in those moments. But may we learn to not rest in those places. May we learn to find peace even when things aren't so simple 
for us. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This passage happens to be, Amazon says, on their Kindle online version of the Bible, the most highlighted verse and section in all of Scripture. And this was previous to this last few weeks. Everybody comes to this passage, whether it's in times of uncertainty for everybody or just individually, and they seek this kind of peace. Do not be anxious about anything. And Paul writes this to a church in Philippi that has some reasons to be anxious. It's likely a house church of people. Paul himself is writing this letter from prison, unsure about what exactly is going to come with his life. He actually, I think, knows that his death might be imminent because he's under arrest. And yet he writes with this perspective. And this church had some things to worry about. Just a few verses before this, Paul writes to a couple ladies specifically and says, Iodia and Syntyche, let's deal with your problems. You're having some sort of issue that is causing problems between you and it's messing up this church. And I love that Paul doesn't tell us what the problem is. It might have been something that started small and then grew into something big, or it might have been something very big between these two ladies. And he doesn't say, hey, Iodia, get your act together, or Syntyche, this really isn't that big of a deal. He doesn't talk about the problem at all, but what he says to them is, you need to change your perspective. Look at it through the lens of Jesus. Have the mind of Christ when you look at your sister, when you look at this problem. Ever been in a situation where things are awkward between coworkers? Or at church that things are awkward between some people and you've had some drama and you don't necessarily want to love that person as Christ loves that person? When these sorts of tensions exist within any kinds of community, it's it's hard for us to understand how to live in this way. But Paul says to these two ladies, you need to think about this. What you're doing is creating this tension within this church, and this church can't sustain it. Some scholars have said this might be one of the main reasons why he writes the book of Philippians. You can imagine this letter, which would have been read aloud at this house church meeting. And all of a sudden, Iodia and Syntyche get called out. Just a few Moments before, they probably were saying, yeah, Paul, you're right, when he's doing like Philippians chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 3, which he didn't write in that form to them, but they would have been listening to this letter and they would have said, yeah, yeah, Yodia's thinking, Syntyche ought to learn from this. Amen to that. He kind of look over at her sister because they've got some drama. And then Paul says, we can't just leave this theoretical, ladies. Eventually, y'all too need to figure this out. And he calls them out in this letter. This is like when your mom uses your first name and your middle name, and you know things are not so good for you. And he says to them, yeah, this thing is tense. You guys have this issue. But I want you to look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the word that we need today. 
to look at whatever it is that is causing us heartburn and tension through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that we're going to live completely anxiety-free. One of my friends taught me about lust many years ago, that to not find someone else attractive is impossible. You can just say, whoa, that is a, a nice picture of God's creation over there. But what you can control is not continuing to look at that. and Maybe looking at pictures of that person later. You can say, whoa, you know, that person is, is very beautiful. I find that person attractive. And then not let yourself just live in that space. I would argue the same thing is true for anxiety, that there are going to be things that come up in your heart and in your life that are going to cause you concern. It's what it means to be human. But you don't have to live there. In fact, in the Greek understanding of the word, do not be anxious about anything, what Paul really is communicating to this church and to us today is don't live in this continual state of anxiety. Don't let that be the place that you live from. I would argue that we get the words of Jesus a little bit wrong here. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. And he goes into some specifics about clothes and food and offers some practical examples for how we can get outside of ourselves a little bit. And then he concludes this section of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, therefore... And in college, in preaching school, they teach you, find out what the therefore is there for. So he's been teaching about all this stuff, like don't worry about this, don't worry about that. And we can often just take that as like, all right, just don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, which is a horrible way to get rid of worry, because what does it do? It introduces worry. But think about what he says here. This is how he concludes this statement on worry. He says, don't worry about Tomorrow. This is the space I think we often find ourselves in. And Jesus, I think, is helping us understand that, yeah, there's certain things about today that are going to come. And it's going to be impossible for you to not think about it for a moment and be anxious about it for a bit. A mentor of mine, Randy Harris, was on a Zoom phone call with a group of ministers yesterday including me, and he reminded us all of something that he taught me many years ago. He said that when it comes to worry and anxiety, there's going to be things that come, but imagine yourself. You're just sitting by a river, and something comes rafting down that river like anxiety. And you look at it, and you say, yep, that's concerning, but I'm going to let that keep going down the river, because I don't want to live in this space. Maybe you need to visualize that today. That as we live in a time of uncertainty, you need to say, okay, there are some things that I'm concerned about, and they're real. Let me just let them go down the river for a minute. And I think it's possible for us to live even in times like this, if we learn from the passage that is right before the passage that we just looked at in Philippians, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. I don't know if I can think of a better word for our time than just that simple phrase, the Lord is near. Even at times when we have questions and doubts and anxieties, the Lord is near. It's times when we feel a little bit out of control, when we truly just recognize that we are out of control. There was a study done a few years ago in some of the parts of the world that have the worst traffic, in India, in the United States, and in China. The reason why traffic is so frustrating is because we realize that we're out of control. There can be a person who cuts us off. Nobody uses their blinker. And you're trying desperately to get to work or to a meeting, and all of a sudden you end up in a construction zone and all of it slows down, or you're trying to make a flight and it's just it's all slow on the 405. They actually found that after experiencing difficulty in some sort of traffic jam, your risk for some sort of heart condition increases by threefold, that you could have something go wrong because of the stress that you're under. And what you realize in those moments is that you're really not in control. I think we all are feeling that more than ever right now. And there's uncertainty about all of it. How long is this going to go? What's this going to look like? How is this going to continue to go? And in these moments, as these things come down the river, may we look at them and say, yeah, I understand that that's hard, that's difficult, but I am not going to allow myself to live there. And I'm going to trust that the Lord is near. I'm going to lean into the hope that I have in Jesus Christ and God's spirit and presence being released into the world. James chapter 4 has the very simple statement, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Maybe as your life literally hits pause and you're not running around as much as you typically do, maybe in this time you can reconnect to some of the ways that you have drawn near to God. Maybe you need some new practices and if you need some ideas of how you can connect to God during this season, we as a church family are here for you. Please let us know. Reach out to us. Maybe you need to reconnect with some of the things that you've done before and have helped you connect to God's spirit and presence. As we have a little bit more time on our hands, may we try to draw near to God. May we have the deep belief that God is near to us. I was reading this week about how, in some ways, we're paying for the way that we live. Back in the day, just not that long ago, if you're anything like me, if you were brought up in church, it's likely whatever denomination you were from, you went to church about three times a week. You went on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe even more at other times. For you, maybe you had some different times. But for us, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I have to say, as a preacher, I'm glad that we don't necessarily do that anymore because I just felt like the sermon on Sunday night was a C version of the Sunday morning sermon. It's like the stuff that wasn't quite good enough to make it into the Sunday morning sermon. And if you had a C preacher to begin with, that means the Sunday night was somewhere around a D, perhaps. So as a preacher, I'm thankful. I'm like, thank you, you know, that we don't have to do that. It's a whole lot of content. So I appreciate 
that about the pace of our lives a bit. And I also think as a parent, I have no idea how parents actually got us up here for all those church services. So if you did that, you know, pat yourselves on the back for a minute because that is truly remarkable. And I also appreciate that as a church, we, for example, go to serve at Essentia on Sunday night instead of listening to me preach one more time. I think there's some, some benefits to the way that we're living. But what we've done instead of those hours, that time that we were spent, that we were spending together seeking God and looking into God's Word, what I would argue that we've replaced it with is less worship and more worry. The fact that we are so connected digitally to people all the time, to all the problems that are in the world. Think about how you can basically follow, like if your daughter is going to a doctor's appointment, you can text her, did you arrive? Are you okay? Are you in the waiting room? What's going on? Did you talk to the doctor yet? What's happening? Instead of reconvening at dinner to have that conversation later, you can have live conversations of what is happening, what's going on. And that is true across all the people that we love and care about. It's just constantly like updating each other, whether through social media or not. You can spend time worried about the post that you responded to by your crazy uncle who you can't believe his political perspective and you totally slammed him and there's no way he can come back, but then somehow he does and then you respond again and you just have this going back and forth. It's just this constant sense of connectivity that often leads us, I think, to anxiety. And so, yeah, it's good that we don't think of ourselves as somewhat slaves to this pattern of, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or the ways that your church used to gather. In some ways, as we were thinking of it more as, as a checklist of a way to make ourselves worthy before God. But I wonder how, for many of us, we've just replaced these moments where we were trying to worship with worry. Maybe during this time is your life is slowed down a bit. You can think about drawing near to God and recognizing that the way through this anxious time is by leaning more into the arms of our everlasting Father. I love Exodus chapter 3 and 4 where Moses has this conversation with God. And basically says all of these things about how he isn't the right one to do this job and how he should go find someone else to do it. My favorite is at the end when he says, but I'm slow in speech of tongue. I'm not a good public speaker. And ironically, later on, Moses is going to deliver the Ten Commandments to people. So obviously he somehow figures out his speech thing and he was able to share a speech that changed the world forever. In the middle of this conversation, this back and forth, Moses says, what am I supposed to say your name is? And God says, say, I am who I am. And this is such a profound thing that we always need to lean into because God has an opportunity to say, you know, call me Cheryl or call me Steve or whatever it is. And there are other gods and goddesses and religions around the world that are just, it's a pronoun. They call me this. But our God is a verb. Our God 
is not some noun, some faraway concept or idea. Our God is a verb. And you see this continued in Jesus. Jesus makes these statements that say, I am to his disciples and to those who will listen. He's trying to help us to recognize that Jesus is connecting us to the God who still is. What would it look like for you to worship the God who still is? To recognize that there are things that are going on in all of our lives that we need hope and help to deal with. Maybe you recognize that there are things that we're anxious about, but we're not going to continue in these patterns of anxiety that get us further down the road. One of my friends says, 99% of what you're afraid of is never going to happen. And I think that's true. We can just get in these patterns where we're just going and going and going, and we just need to say, God, I trust that you are still here. And this is a hard moment. Please carry me through. As a pastor, I'm going to be honest with you, there are times when I think, wow, I wish I was a pastor in a different era. And then I can start to think about it. You know, well, let's just let's think through Man, when it would have been a little bit easier to be a pastor? And I think, yeah, well, let's get a little bit further back. And it's like, oh, well, there was the civil rights movement there. Oh, yeah, that would be probably pretty stressful. Let's go back a little further. Oh, World War II, that would be tough. Or the Great Depression, that'd be pretty hard. World War I, that'd be extraordinarily difficult. Uh, the, the Civil War, like, and you just can kind of go and think about it. Oh, yeah, well, that would be hard. That would be hard. And then you start to recognize that being human is hard. There are always hard times and difficult seasons. I can think, wow, it would be easier to be a pastor. But then when you actually think about what was going on during that time, there's always been hard things. But the God who is, has carried people through difficult times over and over again. I can't help but think of Julian of Norwich. Here's a picture of her. And she's somebody who you probably aren't familiar with. But she is actually, we're not sure, actually pretty certain that her name was not Julian of Norwich. We don't know uh, exactly who she was or what her real name was. But she worked and lived at a church called St. Julian's in Norwich. So she became known as Julian of Norwich. She's actually a very fascinating woman. It's believed she wrote the first uh, books, the earliest surviving English book that was written by a woman. And it's called Revelations of Divine Love. And it's an exploration of how Christ can be known through our suffering and difficulty and relationship with Christ can be deepened as we lean into these times, as we find that the well of God's love for us truly never runs dry. And it's this beautiful work about what this means. And she writes, All is well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. What's fascinating about her and about this statement specifically that she wrote it as the Black Plague was going through Europe. 
The Black Plague lasted from 1348 through 1350. So I know as we sometimes think, how long is this going to last? What's going to happen? We're talking about things in human history that lasted for 12 years. Historians estimate that between 30 and 60% of the population was killed during that time. And I know there's some things for us to be concerned about and be worried about and prepared for, but still, even the, the darkest predictions don't go anywhere near that level. Maybe you remember her words. All is well. All shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. Not because of our own strength, because of us relying just on ourselves, but because of who our God is. The Lord is near. May you remember those words that Paul writes to this struggling church in Philippi. May you use this season to replace worry with worship. May you truly ask the question, how can I draw near to God during this time? Because my anxiety is going to go up. There's going to be things that I'm concerned about and they're going to be real. I trust that God still is. May we remember the I am God, the God who is a verb.